Greetings and salutations. How are you all? Thank you once again for tuning in to another episode with me, Lindsay Garvey-Jones, here at Unfunk Yourself, a place to unfunk, to talk freely and to reset. Now, thank you for your super positive feedback. Um, it seems that you're enjoying this experience just as much as we are. And a lot of our guests are bringing the very best in conversation as we dive deep into their lives. And we find out what drives them, what motivates them and what their hopes are for the futures. And I love getting the top tips from them as always, helps us to lead a smarter life. Now, speaking of smarter, have I got a guest for you today? I am telling you this for free. She is one of the smartest, most authentic, fun-loving, fitness-mad, globe-trotting, determined, ambitious women that I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. She has created herself a very successful career in the travel industry. She is a wife and is a mama to four beautiful cockapoos. And speaking of the number of four, she is one of four children in a very unique upbringing which she wants to share with us today. And oh my days, she's had a journey, I tell you. She has competed in triathlons and Tough Mudders. She has stepped into the boardroom, being a director and co-owner of her own company. And she has stepped into the world of fitness and nutrition in a little side hustle that she's going to share with us as well. It's with enormous pleasure that the one and only true positive mental health, fitness and well-being ambassador is Miss Basha Kolazinska. Hi, how are you? <laughs> oh my God, what an intro. <laughs> oh, thanks for that, Lindsay. Uh, I can't believe I've done all that. I'm very well today, thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm super well. I've been so excited to get you on um, just because you've had such a journey and you've got so much to say and so many top tips that you can share with people because let me tell you um, a little bit of background, our lovely listeners. Um, Basha and I have known each other for way too many years than I care to remind myself of and we share a lot of time together in our normal day jobs um, where we we travel the world really supporting our businesses and on different conferences we're very very fortunate but it means that we really get to know each other and we get to share the most vulnerable parts of each other. So we know each other quite well, don't we, over the years? We've shared heartbreaks and, and the ups and the downs of life. And you've been my counsellor for many years, really. <laughs> and vice versa. Oh, my God. I mean, when you put it like that, the, the kind of places we've travelled to, what we've seen, what we've done, that's aside from what we do when we're, we're at these amazing overseas conferences and the things that we do in our private, you know, our private lives as well. Yeah, it, it, it's it's like therapy, isn't it, when we're overseas and we're visiting these amazing places. But yeah, we, we've done and seen some fantastic things and seen some brilliant places. And I just can't wait for those those times to come again. You know? And they will. And they will. Absolutely. Now, what have you been up to this week? What's your week looking like? You busy? I'm really busy in the world of travel recruitment. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I set my day up every single day that I get up nice and early. 5am club. I know you're reading at the moment, aren't you? Robin Sharma, very good author. And um, I basically every, every day I get up at five o'clock. I train every morning bar one. I set my day ahead. I zoom with my team and then I, I start work. I start work at my desk 
This week, however, we have now started going to my Rygate office and it was so good. We started last week when the when we were allowed or the week before. And I mean, OK, it took me two hours to get there, three hours to get back. It's a long old journey from the motherland of Essex, where I live with my four cockapoos and husband. Um, but it was so good to see them. And that you just forget how important it is to to spend time with your team and, and it's worth it I don't mind I don't mind doing that drive and it, it was great and you know things are getting busier the industry's picking up as we know as you know as the consumers out there that aren't in the travel industry know so slowly but surely it's picking up so yeah we're having a busy week I'm feeling fit strong determined knackered because I went for a long run this morning with my weight vest but you know I'm feeling good when Basha has a birthday she does not get the average present you know the perfume the makeup and everything she gets that as well besides but it's like what could you give the woman that has everything that you know she'll love and adore and that was a weight vest from your husband that was a weight vest it was a massage this is from husband a weight vest a massage gun and a and a a dip and pull-up rack for my gym at home so that's what the husband got me (laughs) (laughs) perfect for you absolutely perfect now let's get into today's podcast I am uh, I'm beside myself I'm so excited for today's because there's so much that you can share with us give us your top tips things that you've actually had to overcome now listeners Further on into the conversation, I just want to do um, a little bit of a warning that we will be talking about uh, body dysmorphia and also some mental health. So if those are trigger points for you, you can skip past those. It will be happening a little bit later on, perhaps near the end. Um, So that's just a little warning for you. But let us start at the very beginning, because as true to the song, it's a very good place to start. You have shared with me on many occasions the unique journey where your mum and dad met and had to almost go all the way around the world to come back to the UK. And it's a very special journey. Will you share with me and the listeners once more how your parents came to live in the UK? Okay, gosh, it makes me so emotional just the way you uh, introduce it. So I am a first generation Pole to two Polish immigrants. Um, my mother and father met in the UK. My father was considerably older than my mother. but So my dad was born in 1918, I believe. I'm finding that all out now because I'm now um, going for my Polish citizenship and my Polish passport. Uh, my mother was born in 1933. My mother's journey, um, she was one of six, but two of them died during, you know, they were in camps. My mother's with the Polish Catholics, so... We, my family weren't in concentration camps, but they were in labour camps. And my mother's journey was my, my grandfather, my mother's father was in the Polish army. He died in Israel during the war. My mother's mother um, died of starvation. And her and her siblings were then put into various Polish camps. And the first one was when the war happened. So when they were, she was the youngest of all her siblings. Um, Siberia, first of all, so Russia, where they, you know, she wouldn't talk about it a lot, but what she did tell me and what my uncles, they've all passed away, including my, both my parents, so I'm little orphan basher now, um, but they didn't talk about it a lot, but what they did say is they never wanted to be hungry, 
they um, my my uncle got shot for stealing a chicken to feed to feed them all. It was well, it was hard. It was hard. Um, then during partition, they went um, across the world. You know that there's books written, there's films uh, made about this. They went to Iran and they were in the camp in Iran, and then they ended up in Bombay. There was a, an Indian Sultan prince who wanted who, who opened a, a huge camp. Now I'm not talking about a labour camp like in Siberia and Iran, but a camp for Polish children. And I've got pictures of my mum and her her siblings, and they're just like it's like it's like you, I don't know it's something you you, you watch you, you watch on TV or a movie, and the scrawny little blonde children who are so mega tanned because they're living in Bombay and. That was until actually after the war. Um, so this 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 prince, uh, Indian prince, um, literally looked after families, children, and so on. There, hence, there's a lot of people Polish in India. Um, so they were schooled there until 1947, 1948, when after the war, when my mum would have been 14, 15 years old. Then, after partition, um, she came over to the UK on a boat called the Astorias and I've got the records of the boat again because I have to find all this stuff through ancestry to find out what what their journey was her and her brother and a sister um, came to the UK so imagine that journey right from Bombay and I'm trying to work out the journey they did you know it must have gone under the cape and, and up must have taken weeks and ended up in Southampton one of a one of the siblings was here, ended up in South Africa one in Canada um obviously uh, commonwealth countries so turned up in the uk orphans 1948 and not speaking a word of english and then got schooled uh they went my mum ended up in cheltenham ladies college learning english her brother became a lawyer her sister became an accountant no vice versa actually uncle became an accountant sister became a lawyer and my mum schooled herself and uh, then went to Trinity University in Dublin and became a doctor. So very, very driven, very hardworking, very studious. She then became a doctor and then met my father at Polish Club in Kensington, which you and I have been to. We we did an ATO event there. Um, And I met my father at Polish Club. Um, He was in the Polish army. I don't know much about my father. They divorced when I was quite young. Um, but my father's upbringing, but he was in the Polish, Polish stroke English army, um, was married before my mum, met my mum, then had us four sprogs, and the rest is history. Wow, I feel, I feel exhausted listening to that because there's so much in it, you know, the emotion, um, what they must have been through, the experience, um, not knowing the the insecurity of everything, you know. Fear. The fear, absolutely. The scariness. My mum always said, you know, that, that she didn't really want to talk about it. And I just wish, that's one thing I wish, that she'd have told me more. Yeah. Um, but she just didn't want to, which I understand. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I know that your family mean the world to you, but what was it like being the youngest of four? Oh. So I was, I'm the baby, as you know, and I, there was, there's a bit... When I was growing up, there was quite a big difference between the next one up, Marek, my brother. Um, 
there's me who's now 51 and then there's him who's 58, 59, then my sister who's just turned 60 and my big brother's 61, which now doesn't seem that much, but growing up it was. I think I was a last, last resort to save the marriage, to be fair. It didn't work, but, you know. Um, so I was, my mum had nothing growing up, absolutely nothing. My father, God bless his soul, didn't really provide for us as a family. My mum did it all. Um, they divorced when I was about seven or eight. I saw him until I was about 10, and then I didn't see him until I went to his, well, I didn't see him at his funeral. He died when I was 19. Um, I was the baby at the time. I was probably classed as the brat, the, the spoilt one. Um, I was very fortunate. I got to go to private school, junior school and senior school convent school best education ever I had amazing time at school I loved school I had great friends but being the baby of four it was it, it was hard because I had to the reason why I'm the way I am probably is I had to shout the loudest to be heard all four siblings are very extrovert very loud um, quite often would be talking over my mum uh, just to be, you know, Christmas, Vigilia, our time, Vigilia is a, is a very Polish tradition, those of you Poles out there, um, we celebrate it a lot on Christmas Eve, and I still do it to this day now, and, you know, it was just loud, and that, that's what it was like, and that's what growing up in my house was like, so I was very fortunate, I was privileged, I went to a very good school, had a very good education, um, my mum, we had a beautiful big sprawling five-bedroom house and a lovely part of part of London um and I believe my mum did that because she didn't want us to suffer to be hungry and I think she that she, she threw stuff at us food experiences holidays stuff toys and so on you know I, 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 so in that respect I was really privileged I think I was probably the privileged out of all I, I was the last one she finally became a consultant anaesthetist so she was an amazing doctor very well known in her field um and she she threw everything at, at the last kid get her through brilliant school and get through university which she did um which sounds great and it was an amazing upbringing it was happy. I was a happy kid. We, you know, we had a happy, uh, even though they picked on me. And I, you know, we all laugh my, when, when my siblings and I, which we don't get together very often, my sister mm. lives in Australia. But when we do, we still laugh about the fact that when my sister used to pay my brother to pay the drums to upset me and things, you know, things like that. <laughs> but, but we're now very, very close. But it, it was, it was privileged. It was happy. But what I didn't get, which I now realise in hindsight, I didn't get attention. Um, because my mum was working 24-7 to make sure we had the life that she didn't, I she threw stuff at us. And that's not to say she didn't throw love at us because she absolutely did. But what I didn't get was I didn't get the attention. Um, and we, we had au pairs. We were brought up by Polish. Not brought up, but you know, we had au pairs living there with us. Um, Dad left, so it was, she, she had to bring all four kids up. And my siblings were great. They did, you know, they, they looked after me as well. But then my big brother, Richard, he went travelling. So when I was, he was 12 years older than me. So when I was six, he was 18. He went travelling around the world. And that's, that's ingrained in all, all, all the kids, you know. Wanderlust is in our, is in our DNA. Um, so I, I craved attention um, and that probably came out by me not ever want my, not wanting my mum to ever have another partner. Um, I remember she had a couple of dates with a couple of doctors and I screamed the house down I didn't, didn't because I wanted her attention on me. 
but I only it's only now when I did all the you know the planning for this and the wild writing and I, I had to dig deep and it was quite quite cathartic really but soul searched on on what my childhood was like and it's only now that I realize that but yeah I'm, I'm I was I was looking for attention nothing's changed hey Lindsay absolutely Basha you you are still the center of all of our worlds I mean Basha you must have a million whatsapp groups we'll talk about that in a, in a little while because that's something quite special now the relationship with your mum whilst you were growing up we've spoken about this you know it was very open home it was very relaxed your mum was really liberal she loved to have the house full of your friends and the love that you used to share together, the problems that your friends used to bring. And she was like, mama, help us out. And she was quite liberal, but it was, and she kind of allowed you to feel your way through your teenage years. And we know that that did come at a cost because you said that you felt extremely loved, but you were the posh version of a latchkey kid. So you needed to do things for yourself so and also mum didn't really push the homework too much you know it that was all great she wanted to provide for you so where did this drive for achievement come from god yeah posh version of a latchkey kid got that (laughs) great great description um yeah it was it was um it's a hard one, isn't it? When you when you think think back at that, and yeah, it was a, an amazing liberal upbringing. It was the house that all the kids wanted to be in, not just me, but all the siblings. Back door always open, kids everywhere, teenagers, kids, animals, etc. Big fridges, always always full because again, she never wanted to be hungry again. That's what Mum always used to say. Um, my my mates loved my mum. It was the cool place to hang out only because their parents thought they were a you know christian or catholic youth club whereas my mum let let us go to the pub at 14 15 let us go to discos at 15 16 getting on the night bus back but one thing she said was i knew where you were because you wouldn't lie to me you'd tell me what you where you were i knew you'd be back here yeah you might be drinking chinzano malibu at 15 years old but at least it was in my house i remember having a a party I was 14 okay 14 years old having a party um oh God, it was, my, my niece is 14 now she's got a boyfriend in it I'm absolutely beside myself I had this party all the local boys from the local boys school went my mum was in she was upstairs having a few gin and tonics and wine she liked to wine and she just let the party go on and it the house got wrecked chandeliers got broken the, the banisters got kicked in uh, all sorts gone on you know she came down and it says it's okay darling it's okay darling we can sort this out and it was that, that's what it was liberal um my, luckily my friend's parents some of them got to find out some of them didn't it, it was the talk of the school it was the talk of the convent the following week um so very liberal um and yeah she she never she never made me do my homework she never made me um be studious and and I never really stopped that I was a bright kid at school I think um I got 10 O levels you know and all the rest of it I, and I, I I popped up my A levels a little bit because my, my school was all about the O levels and then I think met a boy at 17 and my A levels weren't quite what they should be but we'll, I think we'll talk about that later but I think that just I think that's ingrained in you I think that's I think you either are 
uh, disciplined to do things. It's either naturally, you either academic naturally, or you have to work hard, or you've got a balance. Um, I and I also was surrounded by clever girl. I went to all girls' school till the age of eighteen, but clever girls uh, who who were disciplined. So I think that probably rubbed off on me as well. So I think that drive, which stays with me till today, I think that's in. I think that is embedded in you and I think you've either got it or you haven't if you haven't you have to work even harder I think which that that's a tough tough one for people that want to do it and can't so I think it's I think it's ingrained in you and I think I was a bit of a I was a bit of a cow to my mum from about the ages of hormonal ages 13 to 15 I remember it well I was I was a I was nasty but then it just flipped and I was turned into a nice daughter again at 15 16 um so I think I think it comes from being being it's in your DNA but it's also my mum subconsciously but without realizing at the time watching her and it's so strange if you think back now and I wish at the time I realized it was her that was that was showing me the way which she didn't even realize she was doing but she was and it's that drive it has to be in your genes, doesn't it? It must be in your genes to be like that. But nurture or nature? Is it nurture? Is it nature? Is it a mixture of both? And I think mum, mum, just because she had to, she had, she had to four kids to, to and, and a, an amazing career to, to um, grow and develop. That I think it's a mixture of genes, drive, stubbornness, not wanting to fail, and having a female role model just that's doing it that's not that's not shouting about it that's not moaning about it um and that's there always there on your shoulder and you're like okay that's that's the path you you need to take but no one actually told me I could have gone totally other way couldn't I I could have just uh, I'm very fortunate I think I'm very lucky I think that will resonate with a lot of our listeners as they start to reflect. Hopefully, listeners, you're starting to reflect on who inspired you, who who made you achieve, who made you determined, because we do get to a certain point in our lives, I think, where we take the time to reflect and look back and think, that person gave me a right, great uh, foundation in my thinking, in my doing. So it's, it's a good thing to do. Now, your life purpose, your calling or knowing about what you wanted to do, as for anybody at the age of leaving school, can be quite elusive if, the, if you're not of a, of a conviction, you know, if you're thinking that's what I want to be and go for it. And you had a really keen interest in sports, fitness, nutrition, I guess like, you know, most people your age, your calibre back in the day, and you did some A-levels, but then you packed a bag and then you went away for four years. So where did you go to? Why did you spend so long away from home? And we'll talk about you coming back in a little minute. But yeah. So I I did um I did science A levels, <clears throat> not thinking okay I might I was going to do a nutrition degree. Uh, very interested in it. Definitely not not be a doctor. Mum said do not none of you kids be doctors because she knew what hard work it was. Um, mucked up my A-levels a little bit so I didn't get the grades and um, had a boyfriend at the time and we thought okay let's go traveling so it was a mix, over a few years but came back every now and again went back came back and so on first trip was about 29 months in a year um, I think it's I think it's in everyone's if, if, look, if you get to go if you get to go away from an early age and you're surrounded by family and friends that are always traveling and my 
my big brother went traveling around the world Cairo to Cape Town and so on my sister at the time were, was traveling around the world and then ended up emigrating to Australia so it's in it's in our blood I suppose and also the journey that my ancestors did you know I'm sure I'm a Polish gypsy by you know but I'm sure they were they, they my ancestors because it's in our blood and yeah everyone wants to do a gap year yeah let's do that gap year but I ended up taking a few years off instead my first trip the traditional India Southeast Asia Australia then I did uh, Africa so East Africa Southern Africa um not really working did a bit odd job not really but just saving up a bit of money in the UK going back out there backpacking um going to some amazing places and at the time my first trip was 1988 1989 where you know going to Goa was unheard of uh, or going to Koh or you know Sumatra Java Bali even. um and then I ended up staying with my sister for a bit I uh, going to Australia and staying with my sister for a bit and then coming home and so on um so yeah that that was that was but I had no idea what I wanted to do. Nobody does at that age, really. Like you said, unless they've got a real calling, vocational calling, like some of my friends, like one of my, one of my best school friends, who actually became a doctor because of my mum, because because my mum was such a role model to her. Um, I, I had no idea still what I wanted to do. It's only after my second or third trip that I thought, mm, okay, let's do a travel and tourism degree. That's quite a good thing. You don't need, I don't need don't need good grades for that. North London Poly, which is a poly at the time, will let me in. So uh, that's what I did. So when you came back from travelling for all of that time, what changed inside you? What did travelling do to you as a human? It opened my eyes to the world of what is out there, um, what experiences you you gain, um, confidence, uh, the but wow, 18, 19, going, you first, stopping in Delhi. I wasn't on my own, I was with a guy, but still, we were children. You think 18 year olds now, they're, they're kids. I can't believe we survived, to be fair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, confidence, um, knowing that there's such a big world out there yet to explore and, and what it does for you and learning new experiences, gaining new experiences, learning new cultures, and meeting people. You know, I love people. I always love people. I love having friends around. My friends are my family um, from an early age. You know, that's what I was. It was all about having people around me. And it's just just meeting more and more people. And maybe that's why I thought, actually, that's the that's the path I want to go down. Even when I started uni, I didn't really know that that's what I wanted to do. As in, as a career, as a career. I just went, oh, to, for, for the last, make mum proud, get a degree, and then decide what to do after that. But you did come back and you went to uni and you did your travel and tourism. And um, that's kind of what put you on the trajectory for your career path in travel. Awesome. So you went for it. Tell us about what happened. So I was so fortunate. One of my friend's husbands worked in the industry, uh, in travel insurance, and got me a couple of uh, travel weekly copies when they were the big, big, Double page. Um, what size is that? A3, isn't it? A really huge one. Yeah, back in 95. Um, at the back of Travel Weekly, when there used to be lots and lots and lots of jobs there, um, I saw a job advertised for a business development executive. I didn't quite know what that meant, but they said they just wanted somebody who was a graduate 
who is well-travelled and who's got confidence in this and done a bit of sales, which I did. And I went for it and I got the job and it was a, a corporate business development executive working for a little French airline, and I speak French, um, sort of, uh, um, out of city airport. So it was very, very new. Um, it was a new, it wasn't a new airline. It was it was called Airjet and it was part of the Group Jet Service, which is a parcel distribution a company in France and they were start starting a scheduled service from city to Charles de Gaulle ticketless and that was that was uh, my first job which I was so lucky I, I speak to so, obviously what I do now in, in recruitment we speak to so many people that are doing their degrees that are graduates that want to get into the industry and there's it's tough I know how lucky I was to get that job because it was definitely the stepping stone into the industry. Um, learning about sales, getting my first company car. Oh, I was so, so lucky. I felt so proud. Um, unfortunately, the, they stopped the scheduled service. So I think I was there a year and a half, two years. Um, <clears throat> made redundant. The sales team were made redundant. And um, I then got a job for a very well-known car company called Holiday Autos. And actually, funnily enough, my, my co-director, my chairman now, he used to work for another recruitment agency before he started CNM, and he got me my job at Holiday Autos, which and I was there for a few years. And that was that was a brilliant, brilliant grounding, learning in the industry. They were such a great company in, in the sort of mid to late 90s, um, national the awards, sponsoring everything, PR, PR, PR. Um, I got some great relationships. I made some great friends, made some great contacts, learned about the industry. So that was that was also a fantastic stepping stone and grounding into the. And actually, that that yeah, I, I I know what I'm good at. I know that I'm good at sales and relationship building and so on. But I wasn't sure whether that was going to be my my end calling. So just, I didn't know what my end calling was. You are a very successful director and co-owner of CNM Recruitment. Did you ever have any glimmers of imposter syndrome throughout your career? Did you ever have that? I had imposter syndrome at Holiday Autos. Um, it was quite a big organisation. Um, didn't think I was as good as what I was. Um, I actually am a very, very ambitious, driven young lady and I just didn't think for all the contacts I'm still friends with the, my old bosses and the old chairman and all the rest of it but I just didn't think that that was my calling and I didn't think that I would be able to reach my my peak there and I got a job at CNM where CNM was still very very new only a few months old I started as a recruitment consultant um, and imposter syndrome Absolutely. Now, I haven't been a director all my life. For 22 years, I've been at CNM. 20, yeah, 22 years now. Quite lucky. Um, and I worked my way up from a recruitment consultant to a team leader to ED director to sales director to director. Um, so lots of different roles, but within the business. And the business has, has evolved and moved and had some challenging times with all the things that we experienced in the travel industry and some fantastic times as well. Um, I've, I've been so fortunate to have, A, worked with an amazing team. I, I don't think you're anything without a great team around you. I certainly can't do it on my own. Um, but I also believe that you lead by example and you surround yourself by people that you gravitate to, positive people, um, but also people that 
that are better than you at things. Uh, I have absolutely no qualms now at 51 knowing what my what my strengths are, but also I don't like to say the word weakness. I like to say areas that I could improve on. So areas that I could improve on that aren't my don't float my boat. I surround myself with people that are, and I think that what that's what dovetails makes a good team. Everybody's got different skills. But going back to your question about imposter syndrome, absolutely. It's a man's world, not at CNM, because I, I think we've got more when when we were pre-pandemic, we had more women managers, more team leaders and consultants. So it's not not the woman thing, but yeah, you 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 I, I questioned could I do this? Um am I able to do this? Do I do I have the knowledge, the experience? Um and that actually when I went onto the ITT board about ten years ago, you you also have that Oh gosh, what are people going to think of me? Am I? Am I? And it, and it's really silly because it's it it's you, you feel like that for for no reason at all. And it's it, as we all know, those of you and I think everybody, man and woman, not just a woman thing, um, will will have it. How did you get over it? You just put your big girl pants on, don't you? You put <laughs> your big girl pants on, and you sometimes you fake it to make it. And the more you tell yourself you can do it, and the more you do it, even though you think you can't, because the, the brain is, an, is such a powerful muscle that once you train your brain that you can, you can. That's what I think. And oh, I just wish I had the, the knowledge, the wisdom, the power, the, the confidence always had confidence but sometimes it is through imposter syndrome knowing now knowing then what I know now but that comes with that comes with time and experiences and you know nobody at at a young age in their 20s has the wisdom or the experience that you've got in your 40s or even your 50s it comes with 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 time so yeah it did I don't think I, I I had it as much as some know. Let me ask you a question. What advice would you give to somebody who has the talent, absolutely has the talent, but they struggle to take the risk? Not necessarily because of imposter syndrome or maybe because they've got it hugely, but it's just that kind of, how do I do it? Ensure they have a good support network and framework around them. Speak to people, speak to people that they trust implicitly, that if they do speak to them, they don't feel uh, that they are threatened or that it will weaken their position in any way, be it they're going for a position. It's not just about jobs or, or, or their career. It could be any part of their life. But I think it's surrounding yourself by people that you trust and that you get a good buzz from and and and, and believing in yourself. Sometimes you do have to just throw yourself in Dust yourself down and just go for it rather than uh, procrastinate. Can I do this? Can I do this? No. Sometimes you just have to do it. Um, and also reading, listening to podcasts, listening to really good books on Audible, th- things like that, which I've been doing loads of in the last few years. But that that really, really helps. But also finding um, not necessarily a, a confirmed mentor, but I don't have a proper mentor, but I class all my friends, home and work friends, they all gel into one anyway, but you all mentor me in in some way or another. Um, And I think that really, really helps because you've got different parts of your 
your psyche, your personality, your brain that that need that need motivating, um, driving, and inspiring. And you're not you're not going to get that from one person. Well, you've led me on very very nicely. Thank you very much for that because I know that you love self-development you love books and podcasts like 5am club david goggins you know i know how much you love him and you get a lot of insights on how to work on yourself how to be greater why is this so important to you in the last year last year during the pandemic especially even though prior to that i would i would i would i would focus on the the, the personal development the, the, the physical development the mental development as well but I having time to do it which sounds a bit crazy because I've been running business in the last year I've had no furlough I've been working um I I rather than listening to pumping dance music when I train or go for a run I will listen to a podcast or an audible book be it about self-development be it about um, how to develop your your career, how to develop your fitness, fitness, mental well-being, all of it really, nutrition. Um, so that's kind of that's that's what I've been doing, and I think why I think that's important is if you don't look after your physical, your mental well-being, then actually you're not going to be any good to anybody. It's all well and good working your absolute butt off. 24 I'm, I work really hard I work really hard I commute I I do this I do that but if you don't look after you first you're not going to be any good to your partner your spouse your wife your husband your children your dogs your friends your parents your, your team your colleagues etc so the first person you really have to look at and it's selfish you have to look after yourself because the more you look after yourself the better you're going to be, the better, the better wife, husband, sister, daughter, etc. You're going to be, and I think a lot of people have learned that that that's not a selfish thing to do. It's a selfless thing to do in the long run because you, ultimately then you're going to be helping people around you. So yeah, it's develop, the personal development, um, and there's more stuff I'm, I want to be doing. Is, is absolutely key because that's what that's what drives you really isn't it yeah, that's what drives you what makes you the person you are and mm. yeah yeah basha what has been either the best or one of the biggest learning curves over your life really oh my goodness <laughs> not to um not to take yourself too seriously which i never have which is a good thing um always treat people how you want to be treated so be it so in a career in a career environment so in a professional environment doesn't matter who you're talking to the chief exec or the janitor you treat everybody how you have the same because one day that could go that could that that could turn around and bite you on the bum and so many people don't do that and I really I don't like that I think treat everybody how you want to be treated and probably the last thing is, is don't be afraid of taking risks. Take take risks. And I wish I had have probably taken more. Um, but again, that goes back to the imposter syndrome. And also that the, the, the wiser and the older you get, the, the, the more you realise that. So I think we're taking risks. Don't be scared. We will take risks, but don't procrastinate and just get on and do it. What's the worst that can happen? 
Yeah. I mean, you've been really successful. How do you define success? Oh, thank you, Lindsay. It doesn't feel like that in the last year. It's been tough, you know. It's been a tough year, but I'm still here. And it's been tough, but we're tougher. I've, I've used that phrase so much. Um, how do I define success? I don't actually define it about status or level in a company or an organisation I don't I don't define it even as even as monetary or, or stuff. Um, I used to be very, very materialistic. Um, probably comes from mum throwing stuff, stuff at me, stuff. But you just more stuff, more money just means more stuff. You only need a certain amount of stuff, if that makes sense. Um, but some stuff's nice. Um, I think experiences that that that's what that's what when we get out we can start doing things again and I've all I love experiences I love holidays I like culture I like skiing I like sailing I like spending time with my friends I like spending time with my husband and my family and so on but success is happiness it's and, and, and happiness is the key one it, it, it's being happy having your health because health is wealth and and if you want to be the top of that game or the top of that organization and that is that is your dream to to be there and to get those success and that is success but to me success is happiness and being happy in yourself and and waking up and having a purpose and motivated I I love having people around me and I love making people happy and I like leading by example and I don't mean that in a cheesy you know rah 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 high-fiving I don't I mean let's let's go and do this or let and I believe that positivity breeds positivity and people gravitate towards people by themselves you know I don't want people I don't want negative people around me I don't want negative friends I don't want negative team I don't want mood hoovers and mood hoovers exactly exactly what they are um and I love that phrase and and to, to me success is about happiness um and but then happiness, if you were to draw a, a, a diagram, what, what does happiness mean? Yeah, it's it's being comfortable. It's knowing what your path is. It, it's knowing what, what you're going to give back to society, to to the world and so on. But I think it's it's predominantly happiness and health. Yeah. Now, moving on to the last 12 months, Gosh, you've worked nonstop. You've worked 24-7 to keep the business's head above water and to make sure that things are okay for recovery. You know, I'm testament to the hard work and effort that you've put in. But it's meant that we've worked from home. And that's been a real game changer because you spend a lot of your life working away, away from home, away from Simon, your husband and the dogs and everything else, the work-life balance suddenly changed. So what changes did you make? What did it mean to you over the last 12 months? I went from being away from home, I can't even count how many days, be it on corporate trips, holidays, uh, conferences and so on. How many days a year would it be? I mean, we're talking two, three months, uh, probably, to literally every single day at home from the 23rd of March. I mean, I actually got to go away a couple of times last year, which was fantastic, more than most. Um, so that was, it actually wasn't hard, but you would think it would be hard being, uh, having having had 
spent the longest time in my own bed, my own home, than I had in probably 20 years. And I think some people probably struggled with that. Um, but I didn't. I actually found what what what's actually really important, work-life balance. And that's not being work shy. That's spending your time wisely, efficiently, creatively, be it creative in the garden, creative in the kitchen, creative. There's lots of create creativity. It could, could be described in lots of different ways. But my work-life balance has improved significantly. I've spent, spent time with my husband. I've got to know my husband again. Um, he is a saint for putting up with me. Um, and now I actually also realise, crikey, he was running the house and looking after the fam- family of dogs. You know, for dogs a lot. And I didn't really realise how tough that was. Um, so it's made me appreciate home, what lovely home I've got, what a lovely husband I've got, what a lovely environment I've got. And this is it. This is really, this is what you need. That That's, once you've got that, then everything else can, will just follow. Um, so my work-life balance, I'm actually probably working smarter, probably harder in a way. I mean, it has been tough. Of course it's been tough. I've made some very difficult decisions with work, as we all have. Um, but yeah, I think it, it's taught me the importance of balance, work-life balance, spending time on me, Ash Kulzinska PLC, and that that's the brain, sleep, meditation, exercise, food, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But also time, time assignment, time time at home, and just time spent in my lovely, lovely home, lovely garden. So so lucky that I've I've got this. So why not? Why be away the whole time? And and also that that sort of made me realise how I want the future to be with with work as well. With work that you can do, that you can have a balance of both. And I think the future will be very different in a work environment for many of us in the travel industry. I think a lot of us have realised that we've made some changes in the business so that I think everybody is enjoying working from home. Still need to see the team, of course you do, because you need people. I I I. I thrive off having people around me but having that balance has, has taught me what what is important um especially at the beginning of the pandemic it was it was nobody knew what was going on even before we knew what furlough was what was furlough did you, did you know what furlough was at the end of march no um, it, it um i think i think it, it's it's been such a journey it's been such a roller coaster really high and really low this last year that having that one um, constant has really made me appreciate the real, the really basic but fundamental that the key things in life, which are what your family. Yeah, I think what the pandemic gave us was a, a common denominator, which was time. Time is the one thing that COVID, a little gem, a little gift that it gave us. Because I'm not commuting, and this is going to be the case with a lot of people, I was commuting an hour and a half each way into London from, from where I am. That's if I go to my London office. If I go to my Manchester office, that's, gosh, gosh, that's, that's spending time up there. Um, and that's three hours of your day, three hours of your day with the commuting, the stress, blah, 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 all the rest of it. Whereas that time could be spent on yourself um, and that's and not detracting away from work. And actually, you, you end up being more productive, more efficient because of it, because you've spent time on your mind, yourself. All those kind of things have, have 
you become you become a better version of you because of it so time it's given you time yeah I think also what it managed to do was to prove to a lot of people that the world still turned because people were working long hours trying to prove to either themselves or somebody else that they were indispensable and that if they worked harder they got more points more praise more whatever whatever it was that people made were working harder for and I think because the world still turned it's actually let them breathe and think oh actually this it's actually okay if I let go you know absolutely and it's not really it's not let it's not letting it's not letting go as such it, it it's do you know what? It's okay to admit you're having some time for yourself. It's okay to say, this morning I'm doing this and then I'm doing this. And I think for an employer, I think a lot of them, I've done so many webinars over, you know, in the industry for the last year, all about the future of the, the, what the future of the working world in the travel industry is going to look like and all of this. And I think a lot of employers are probably worried about having people working from home because they take advantage and so on. But they realize, you know what? They're okay, and I get more out of them because of it. Exactly. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's. Now, I I know that you and Simon are an enormously strong team. You said that during the pandemic, that was one thing that you loved, which was getting back to each other, rediscovering, reconnecting and all of that, which has been fantastic. And I know that you've both had to make some very difficult decisions throughout your marriage and you've had to make some sacrifices too. Would you mind sharing with our listeners some of those sacrifices that you've had to make? Yeah, absolutely. So we got married um, 16 years ago and um, the children thing it's it's a weird one because you think okay well the next thing to do is naturally just to have kids but I never really had that yearning I love kids I'm great with them my great auntie I like I like to think I think it's just because they've got mad auntie basher you know doing crazy things with them but I never had the real yearning which I feel I really feel for women that have that can't have children so we did try it wasn't happening um it was me not him we were super sperm, apparently. Um, <laughs> um, and then they suggested sort of the next stage, which was fertility treatment, etc. which we just made the decision, do you know what? Do we really want them that much? Nah, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Nah, don't, don't, really, don't really want to. And actually, my, my, my job and my career was very important to me. Did I want to take time off? Probably not. Um, which is a really bad way to think as a woman you know oh my god I'm not going to have children because it's going to affect my career and it's just a shame that I thought that however that was a decision that we made and um, we said just, just have a nice life it means I can lie on the sofa on a Saturday night or I can go out on a Saturday you know, and do whatever I want and and um made a decision not to have children and it and it didn't happen and there's no there's no regrets there I still at the age of 51 don't regret that we didn't we didn't have them a bit late now um I I don't think I will either I think I think there's pros and cons of both I think there's pros and cons of having them I always think it's really interesting to have these conversations because people think that it's a natural blueprint in this world to grow into an adult, have children and move on. And yet there seems to be a group of women really who choose not to. 
you know, yeah. choose not to have children. And there's a there's either a, a guilt or a shame that accompanies that. And it's okay to talk about. That's what I want to really get across is that it's okay. Absolutely. And there was that I think there still is a stigma. I there, I remember a few people, friends of the family, when you're having them, when you're having them, you have to have to you have to have kids. So, well, hang on a minute. And I do think there's a stigma. And I think between probably the ages of about 38 and 42, that prime age of when you probably are going to have children, you've just got married, the people asking you. And I just got a bit, oh, can you just stop up? Maybe, maybe A, I can't. Maybe I've had a hysterectomy. Maybe you just, people are so quick at asking. And actually it's private and it's a little bit rude. Um, And there's no stigma. There's no stigma not to. There's more and more women that choose not to because they choose a different life for themselves. But that's absolutely fine. They don't want to be mothers. They want to do something else. So it, it, it's okay not to want children. Doesn't mean doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. Doesn't mean that you're this or you're that. It just means that's your choice. I've got my fur babies. They'll do for now. Of course you have. Um, in your view, uh, Bash. What is the key to a successful relationship? Communication, which we, you know, we've had our ups and downs over the years, as every relationship does. But I think the last year has, I think, I think the pandemic will have either um, led to divorce, led to some murder. <laughs> I know I'm married to a police officer, so I know exactly what you know what what's gone on. A lot of domestic violence. Or actually babies. Lots of babies happen, not with us, because obviously I'm too old and I can't. Um or it's got people closer together. And I think with us it's got us closer together. And I think that I think it's it's just reminded us what's important and that is communication. So 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 important. And if you're not there for half the time, how can you communicate? Because you get back from a trip or a conference and you're knackered, you don't want to speak because you've been speaking to your industry colleagues and that. It's just, it just doesn't, it's it's not a good basis for a, a, a healthy relationship. You need time together. You need to be able to chill out, do stuff together. Common, common theme, common hobbies, you know, son and I do a lot of stuff together. We do a lot of sport, we cycle, we walk, all that kind of stuff. And also laughter. I think that's having a good sense of humour, um, a bit warped, actually, our sense of humour. Again, because I'm married to a police officer, you all know that, Lindsay. Uh, <laughs> but a good, good sense of humour as well. I think that, that that's really key. I think all the other nonsense stuff is just fluff and stuff, and it really is important, isn't important. I think those, those three points are, are really key. Because you're not going to have your looks, you're not going to have stuff when you get to 80, but you're going to have your sense of humour, aren't you? Absolutely. Now, we know, the people closest to you know, that you're quite competitive, that you love your sports and tough mudders and everything else. And this has led you on a path of nutrition and fitness. And it's kind of gone back to those dreams that you had when you were going for your A-levels and you were looking whether or not to kind of go down this route and and study this field etc and you've kept yourself in tip-top condition of course and this path has led to a few things that I really want to dig into if you will share number one which was the alcohol, you gave up alcohol. Now you did this and it's obviously had a very positive impact on your physiology, your mental health, your sleep and everything else. But the impact that this had on other people, oh my days. 
Oh, my God. So I liked booze. I liked to get drunk with you lot. Absolutely not an alcoholic. I'm, I don't have an addictive personality, but what I do have is all or nothing, and that is with everything in my life, fitness, training, and alcohol. I could, I'd, you know, would go on a trip and get absolutely caned for a few days and then not drink. Um, it's, I think it's in our blood being Polish. I think it's just I think I must have been brought up on vodka, and vodka was my drink. But almost three years ago, I went for a health check and uh, super fit, you know, running machine with the uh, pads on your chest and all that yeah yeah great but something came up in my liver I think I just got back from a trip with the girls I think Palmer or Ibiza or somewhere and I drank quite a lot and something came up in the liver it was an enzyme that was too slightly too high I think it was fat, called fatty liver and the only time that would be up would be either a fatty diet which I don't have or too much booze and it was that so I spoke to my GP friend the one that became a GP because of my mother and she said well as it's you I'd say just cut it out for a while because you're all or nothing most people, I'd say, cut down. And I did, so I cut it out. I mean, I've, I've done sort of jan, dry jan, but I cut it out about three months. But the impact that had on, like you said, everything, my sleep, my my um, motivation, my skin, my hair, my, my, my eyes, and just my general well-being, it just, I loved it. So it just carried on and carried on. I was like, oh, I did this for longer. There was no long-term plan to stop it forever. I just thought, well, let's just stop. Um but the impact it had on other people was really surprising. Um, I actually was a bit, not embarrassed, my, my inner circle knew, but it's not something, you know, when people stick on Facebook and social media, I'm giving up booze for the, whoa, you know, you're, you're just setting yourself up to be um, disappointed because you, you, you've set you've set this platform I'm doing this if you don't do it everyone's going to ask you why so I, I didn't do that but I think a little bit of me sober sobriety guilt I think um which is a thing apparently um I, I was just I don't know not embarrassed but would people still invite me out would they still think I'm fun are they going to have a go at me for not having a drink you know go on have that Zambuka have that Zambuka People are so quick at getting a Zambuca down your neck, but when you say, you know, but, but it, it, it's, oh gosh, it's just so strange to explain. However, a few people, all, all my mates were very supportive, but then a few industry people and a few people I knew that, that behind the scenes were, were quite big um, supporters and they were going down the sobriety route as well and sort of saying, do it do it for yourself if anybody asks you I've got a few names in mind but if anybody asks you why just say this is my journey nothing to do with you I started to do a few more events black tie events awards corporate ski trips and so on sometimes I would pretend I was drinking luckily my drink was vodka lime and soda so I just pretend there was one in there just just to shut them up which is just ludicrous absolutely ludicrous but the positive impact I think it had on other people was a lot of people were asking me behind the scenes why why I did it what 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 did it make me feel like why what's the long-term purpose of it and so on and I think that I think that's had a good impact on people so much so now October this year would be three years so much so that that I'm actually proud about it and I'm I'm going to shout about it and I will put it my 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 drink and non-drink anniversary my soberversary 
Lindsay. Um, it is, I think it's the 10th, 10th of October every year that, that I, I will put it on Facebook about why I gave up, how it's made me feel, that it's okay to do it. And even in our industry where it's so sociable, really boozy, it's really boozy. We've had so many boozy lunches, but you can still have fun. I can still be the, you know, party animal. I can still do all of that. I just don't, I just can't last till three or four o'clock in the morning getting absolutely hammered. And when I get up in the morning, I haven't got a hangover and I can go for a nice run. Thank you very much. And I don't eat crap. Yeah, it's perfect. Um, you, you're very committed. You're very dedicated. And I think it's been an, an inspiration to other people who were curious. They were sober curious around you. Yeah. There's um, a lot of sober. Yeah, there is. There's a lot of. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Please, if you'll allow me, I want to take you back. Um, and I want this to come from a positive place, not a negative place. And that is that you opened up to me and told me that in your early days growing up, you suffered with body dysmorphia. Yeah, I don't think it was one of those, I mean, I was always very slight, uh, scrawny, tall, lanky, etc. I think it happened when I went traveling, my first trip. Um, and I was away for many, 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 many months, almost a year, I think. And I, I, I lost a lot of weight, obviously in India, etc. Got down to quite a light weight. I mean, I'm what, 5'10", and got down to probably like eight stone. Um, but I would look in the mirror and not think I was. And it wasn't, I wasn't... <laughs> making myself um vomit or anything like that or, or or I wasn't not eating just was just wasn't eating a lot and but I think what it is is when I looked in the mirror I didn't see what other people saw and I think the, the what remind what made me really think was when I got home I knocked on the, I, we surprised my mum I think she's expecting me back two weeks later but I knocked on the door and she just like opened the door I was like what in her Polish accent darling what has happened to you um because I was so scrawny you know it, it and but I didn't see it so I do actually think I have a little bit of body dysmorphia I don't so and I think that's actually I've had it probably all my life a little bit I think we all do to a certain degree not now I'm I'm very very comfortable with myself but I do think a lot of women and men have it you look in the mirror and you see yourself very differently to how other people see you but that is also a, probably a slight mental thing. Um, so I do think that that it was my mum that made me realise she fattened me up again, gave me lots of Polish dumplings. That was fine. But then when travelling again, I ended up losing it because I, I that that's my natural physique. So yeah, I, I rather than a, a, a diagnosed eating disorder, I think that that sort of stemmed to to dysmorphia every now and again. And we all know that because you look at them and go, "Am I fat? Am I fat?" and you know you're not, but you you see you you see yourself in the mirror very differently to how everybody else sees you. Yeah, you're in a much better place now. You said that you're more comfortable inside yourself. Was that a conscious thing where you decided, nap, that's not me? What advice can you share with your own experience? I think it comes with time uh, and age and wisdom. It wasn't a conscious thing. I think. Just like you are comfortable in your own skin and your mind and your clothes and your hairstyle and everything externally and also internally, when you get to certain age, I think that I think it comes from that. So I I don't think it's, it's not conscious. I think it's subconscious. And I think some people are very lucky; they probably don't have it. But I don't know many. I'm going to say women. I don't want to be sexist here, but I know. But I do know some men that are like this. But I don't know many women that that have never ever 
that have never had that doubt or had that question when they've looked in the mirror. I, I, that's what I, my, luckily now most are comfortable in themselves and what they are. But there's always a bit of, oh, I don't like that, I don't like that. They, they see the, the bad rather than the good. And you should, that's what, that's what I've learned is don't focus on the negative. Don't focus on the bad because you can't change that. Focus on what you do want and focus on what is good about you. And that's, I think that's that's key to listeners as well, is that, that you can't change what you can't change. Just focus on the good things and focus on what you can change. Yeah. Good advice. Thank you, Miss Basher. Now, let me bring you back to present day almost because you and I were overseas together enjoying a trip where you had something awaken in you just by having a conversation, which has now led you to the side hustle of SPR. Tell me about how you ended up at SPR. What is SPR? What, what's happening with that? Okay, so I've always been into my fitness, probably more so in my 30s and 40s and now my 50s. You know, we've trained so many times when we're on conference, healthy body, healthy mind. Uh, I've done quite a lot of triathlons over the last few years and tough mudders and so on. Um, and I was, we were, at, we were at a conference in Tokyo and am I allowed to mention his name? Who, who, yeah, of course you are. Yeah. So John Sullivan from Advantage was there. And actually, I, I was on a trip with him a few months before. I think I was on a ski trip with him and I was in the gym with him. He was telling me all about this SPR. What's this? Six-pack revolution. Oh, what's that? Bash, you'd love it. It's it's a training program, nutrition. I was like, oh, look, a bit hardcore for me now. So I, when we were in at ABTA conference in Tokyo almost two years ago, we, we him and I sat down and talked me through it, exactly what it's about, what it does, and so on. I thought, like, oh. I like the sound of that, so I signed up, January 2020. And what Six Pack Revolution is, and it's such a terrible name for it, because it really makes it sound, it's all about the six pack and being buff, and it's a little bit aesthetic, but it's not. It is a, it's a nutrition primarily, plus training program, be it your fat. And we use that word, you know, if you're fat, you're fat. If you're skinny, you're skinny. If you need to build up, you need to build up. But it's it's a it's a it's a program developed to it's a 75 day program developed to help individuals get to their goals. Now they could be they could be fitness goals, they could be fat loss goals. We don't use the word weight, we use the word fat because weight we all need weight. Um, you might be super skinny. Um, Bobby Norris from Towie, he was one of the participants, could be super skinny and want to build up. Um, but it's all about having a really good balance of nutrients in your diet and so on, eating six meals a day and so on. Now, I believe that I've always been super, super into my nutrition, know what's good for you, I don't eat meat, etc. No carbs, absolute rubbish. It's all about fueling your body with the right things and lots of it, you know, lots of it. Someone like me is never going to have muscles if I don't eat. All I'm going to do is waste away. If you just want to be Mo Farah and be a scrawny runner, you just run and run and run and run and run and just, just, just don't eat. But it's all about having a fantastic, healthy balance of nutrition and exercise as well. So if, if, you're on, if, you, if you've got weight to lose, fat to lose, and you go on one program, which is much more cardio-based, you've got, if you are sort of at the, the level that you want to be, but you want to, Build muscle makes people sound like they want to become Fatima Whitbread. It's not about that. Building muscle is about lean and toned and sculpted and strong. It's about being strong, not skinny. So lots of different programs in it. 
and it's got a 100% success rate um, and the results are absolutely phenomenal. Not just the aesthetic results, what you physically look like, but the, the mental, that what it does to people's mentality and their drive and how it's that then impacted their personal lives, how it, you know, a lot of, a lot of the participants had issues, their personal lives, their careers and so on. And it's just incredible. The fact I had this during, because obviously it started in January and I finished in March, and then I literally went on another one back to back to back during the pandemic was my absolute saving grace. It's about, okay, if you don't, if you don't go to a gym anymore, it's fantastic for accountability because you've got a Facebook group, you've got some, you've got coaches, and there's also people that have, you know, some of the illnesses and ailments, be it from defib to uh, diabetes, to all those kind of things have been significantly improved because of it. So it, the impact, and a lot of people's uh, mental health as well, the impact it's had, on people has been amazing on me as well my physical my but my more my mental and my dedication my focus it's improved my pbs i did a really good triathlon last year because of it everybody i've recommended and i don't push it on people's face i don't people ask me has had amazing results and then they asked me to become an assistant coach for them so um i was really 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 chuffed um, so I'm now an assistant coach for Six Pack Revolution, which involves motivating, inspiring, and being there for the participants, uh, be it their, their their training, their challenges, or nutrition questions as well. Which has then obviously led me on to what I want to kind of carry on with my other sideline as well. Yeah, and that's going to be my next question. There's a lot of nice segues today. So what's next for you, Basha, both personally, professionally, sideline? What's next? What's the plan? Okay. So professionally with work, we are, we've got out of it and we're getting out of it and we are going to absolutely smash it. Um, we've come this far that's it we, we've got through it the industry is beginning to, to to move again which is great and we're going to continue doing what we're doing and actually just 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 one point which I'm sure a lot of there's gonna be a lot of travel industry people listening we, we've all learned haven't we we've all learned in the last year and let's learn from our um let's take heed and learn learn what's happened from what's happened let's let's adopt it and and not forget what's happened so I, I I've met I've learned so much in the last year that I'm not going to forget that I'm then going to make sure that I adopt into into business and that's just simple little things just about costs and, and stuff uh, personally I'm going to go down um the PT route the nutrition route so I'm looking at uh, personal training courses now as well and nutrition courses so I can have a bit of a sideline um never going to go away from travel recruitment because obviously I travel industry is my blood and I love it and I love my business and I love the team and I'll never stop doing that of course not but I, I have a passion for as you everybody knows that knows me knows I have a real passion addiction maybe obsession for fitness um sport events I do so many different kinds of things but I want to go down that route and I want to pass on my 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 passion and my expertise to other people and I want to help other people I have a bit of a target market I'm going to go for and I I, I just want to help I want to help people become the best versions of themselves physically mentally teach them about food and nutrition as well and so that's going to be my next path 
Not that I haven't got enough time in the day. <laughs> this sounds super exciting. I'm so excited for your future and what's going to happen. You know, it's a long game. It's something that you can continue throughout your life, whichever direction it takes you in. That's the goal. That's the goal. Basha, as with all of our podcast guests, we ask them about their recommendations for books they might want to get their heads into, for any podcast they might want to listen to, or any social media accounts that you love to follow or interact with. What are your top recommendations for our listeners? I, list, I thought about this long and hard, and I've, I've read and listened to some really good Audible podcasts, etc., in the last year. But there's two that stand out. Um, one is Elizabeth Day, How to Fail. Funnily enough, it was Simon, my husband, that said, have you, have you heard this woman, Elizabeth Day? Listen to her podcast. Uh, listen to it. And then I read the book and it is brilliant. It just puts into context and normalises that failure is all right. And actually to fail is a positive thing because that's how we learn and become strong and it's not really a failure it's an obstacle we need obstacles because that's what makes us stronger um and she's made she's done some other books as well but how to fail is absolutely great and her podcasts are brilliant as well she's interviewed some brilliant people ruby wax fern cotton um so yeah absolutely i would really really recommend her and it just normalizes anything from careers love life um, um, friendships and so on so I would really recommend Elizabeth Day How to Fail and the second one which isn't going to be a surprise is my lovely lovely David Goggins um, Can't Hurt Me I um, I listened to his book last year year before and I recommended him to everybody and everyone that reads it is, is amazing so David Goggins uh, was an ex-marine in the USA came from such a hard 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 upbringing and what he's done with how he's turned his life around and what he has done physically is insane like super elite uh, runner he ran ultra marathons on two broken legs and so on and so forth and it is just insane it's just his, his the audible version is actually really good as well because um after every chapter the narrator interviews him as well so it's a really, really, really good, good, just an insight into him. I follow both Elizabeth Day and David Goggins. I follow an Insta and he's always doing little videos and stuff like that. So, you know, my my handle is hashtag be more Goggins because I just always remember if I'm out for a run with Simon, it's like, basha, be more Goggins. And he listened, I, I got into David Goggins and I, I listened to it. And then when we, we drove down to the south of France last year and literally Simon's like, oh, I like the sound of this so I listened to it again literally a week after the first time and um on the whole journey down to down to Marseille and he, he's really into him as well so yeah they're my two recommendations thank you so much Basha thank you for those and thank you for sharing with all of us today quite a, a vulnerable journey you know you've inspired a, a lot of people um during your life and I think our listeners would have gotten a lot from that so thank you for so much for being our guest today and lovely listeners what a wonderful journey I hope that you got a lot of top tips a lot of insight a lot of support um, from Basha today as well but as always until next time take great care of yourself and those around you bye bye <laughs>